For Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which he which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, and not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of those things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these words. We pray now that your spirit would bless the reading and preaching of them for your own glory. And in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, our purpose is to look at Acts chapter 20 in these verses and to consider them in light of what is happening here this morning. Remember the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, he made his way to Ephesus and he found some disciples and the Apostle Paul, a master church planter gifted by the Lord Jesus Christ, planted the church there in Ephesus. As he says in his speech to these Ephesian elders, he was there for three years. And now he has something to say to them because he is leaving. He's already traveled from Ephesus. He's been to uh, Greece. He's been to Troas. 
And now he is in Miletus there. You can see it, verse 17. While he was there, he sent for the elders at the church of Ephesus. Because Paul has something to say to them. He is passing the baton of leadership to them. These elders were included in that role of leadership there. But now since he is leaving, he's giving, giving them a charge as to what they must do. And so he's highlighting his own personal ministry before them during that three years he was there. And so what I want us to do this morning is simply uh, look at what Paul highlights himself, his appeal to his own faithfulness, his appeal to their watchfulness and ministry, and to close for, with several implications for us here at Providence this morning. So first of all, let's think about Paul's own personal faithfulness in ministry. You know, elsewhere, before he died, late in his life, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, Paul was able to write to Timothy and to say that he had fought the good fight, that he had finished the race, that he had kept the faith. And oh, that we can say that on our deathbeds as Christians. And how much more as those who serve as officers in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, elders and deacons in Christ's church. And so he talks about how he began his ministry there in verse 18. He says, and when, well, this is Luke writing. He tells us when they had come to him, Paul, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you serving the Lord. And so he was among the elders. He was among the people. A little later, in verse 20, he says that he taught them publicly and from house to house. And uh, you could recall, perhaps in 1 Timothy 3, one of the qualifications for an elder is that he must be what? Hospitable. He must show hospitality. And in the South, that often has meant you, you have China you have crystal and silverware, and it could mean that, but it means more than that. In biblical times, what it meant was you, you had room and board, that you invited people to stay with you, and in particular, other Christians. And so the point is, Paul had personal contact with the Christians there at Ephesus. And so as elders, he's highlighting this, and it is important that they, even after he is gone, continue that personal contact that they see that the Word of God is preached and taught publicly, yes, but that the saints are visited house to house. And so as our Reformed heritage gives to us that tradition of shepherding visits, elder visits, now they aren't practiced much these days, but that has been a historic practice in many churches through the ages. And so as we think about that this morning, the elder board is not the CEO board. It's not the boardroom. Some elders perhaps have that mentality. Perhaps some Christians and churches think, well, that's what they do. After all, uh, we don't see what they do. They meet once a month and they make decisions. And yes, that's true. That's a necessity. But it's more than that, isn't it? When we look at the scriptures, there is to be a balance uh, as we consider here Paul's mode of ministry, his manner how he had this personal contact with the saints there at Ephesus. Because after all, 
Um, if there's not that balance, things get out of whack, and the elder can quickly disqualify himself for service. 1 Timothy 3 says, if he can't manage his own household, his own family, how then can he manage the house of God, right? And so wives, you wives of officers, I wanted to get with some of you before this morning, but I haven't been able to. But I just want to let you know that uh, we're not getting two for one. So I know you probably feel, I think you probably feel some pressure as your husband is becoming an elder here. Um, and I'm speaking to those who are already elders here as well. Um, part of your ministry now is to share your husband with the church. And you do that unto the Lord. You consider that as your ministry to the Lord. We're going to pull them away for session meetings, for visits, for interviews, and dealing with things that are unpleasant, things at times he can't tell you about. And you have to trust the Lord, that the Lord uses crooked sticks, not only me, but your husband, to draw, they say, to draw a straight line. And we have our sin we bring to the table, but wives, just note that, and part of your job too will be to reel him back in so that he doesn't disqualify himself for ministry or doesn't allow us to do that as a session. So we see Paul's mode, his ministry, his mode of ministry here begins there at verse 18. He has personal contact, he is among the people, but also his message, that's there in verses 20 and 21. He says he kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it, he preached it, and he taught it. That is the word of God. He did it publicly and from house to house. And you can see there, verse 21, he says what it was he was teaching and preaching, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He puts it another way at the end of verse 24. He testified to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, he preached the kingdom of God. Verse 27, he preached the whole counsel of God. And so that was Paul's message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And of course, the implications for Christian living that that brings. But it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his message. And so Paul, Paul leaves this legacy there at Ephesus for the elders to make sure that this is the main thing. The gospel of Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners, that He is Lord, that He is Savior, that He is risen and reigning, and that no man comes to the Father but through Him. And so the unadulterated gospel is high on the priority list for the Apostle Paul and was to be as well for these elders here at Ephesus. Again, we apply the Word of God to every area of life. We talk about faith and life in our own confession, first chapter. And we get to life, first of, all, first of all, through faith, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is part of the work of the church, gathering and perfecting the saints. And we see Paul's emphasis on that here. And so the elders, in part, bring to bear the word of God in the lives of the people. The preaching of the ministry, or I should say the ministry of preaching in the church is high. And we, we often talk about the pinnacle of our worship, the preaching of the Word of God. 
But in the Lord's provision, that is to be attended with the ministry of the ruling elder, working in tandem with the ministry of the public word. Now, not lording over, don't worry, saints, not lording over the flock. 1 Peter 5 talks about that. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 20. He came to be a servant, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The Gentiles love the power. They love to lord it over people. That's not the way of the elder in the church. We're servants. We are under shepherds. We are sheep shepherding sheep. We are sinners, I should say redeemed sinners, shepherding other redeemed sinners. And so there's Paul's mode of ministry. He's among the people. There's his message in ministry there. Also, we have his motive. And this is crucial. This is key. Because if you want to be effective, if you want to be long-term as an elder, and even in your own Christian life, maybe you're not uh, an officer in the church, but just living the Christian life, this is crucial as well. Paul gives us the key to his faithfulness. He, he drops these subtle hints. If you look there at verse 19, he says, um, after he says, I lived among you, he says, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. And then in verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. He served the Lord and he acknowledges the ministry that he received as being from Jesus himself. You see, Paul was always overwhelmed by the love of Christ. He wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to preach Jesus. And here he acknowledges his giftedness, his office as an apostle, as a fellow elder, as being from the Lord. And whatever he did as part of his calling, he did it to the Lord. That's crucial. That's key for living the Christian life. And I can tell you it is crucial. It is key for serving in leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. We, we need not forget, I've already alluded to this, that the ministry, when we think about the ministry, or at least I did when I was a young Christian, about 18, 19, 20, somewhere around there, I thought the Lord might be calling me to the ministry. And, and I looked at my pastor, it was a huge church, right? It was a Baptist church, and, and there's a lot of limelight, and I got to see what he did publicly, and I thought, he gets to study the Word of God, he gets to teach it, he gets to preach it, and that's, I desire to do that. But I learned later, there's a lot more that's involved. If you're going to be faithful, you know, I could be pastor of preaching, there are those guys. When I have a big enough church, probably never will have a big enough church to do that, right? I don't want to do just that. But you get to see what's going on in the lives of, of sheep. It's been said sheep can be rebellious, they will bite your heels. They are muddy and dirty, smelly at times, stinky. Don't be offended. I'm a sheep too. And you get to see what's going on. And it can be hard. And sometimes you're like, you know what? I, I've had the last sleepless night I can take. Or I really don't want to knock on this door. But you have to realize when you do that, you're serving Christ. You're serving the Lord Jesus. This is why you signed up to be a Christian in the first place. You heard about what Jesus did for you, and you said, yes, you are my God, my Lord. I want to serve you. Here am I, send me. And now the Lord has placed you in this, this office. And so you serve him. Wherever you serve as a Christian, you do it unto the Lord. Like we said last week, if you clean toilets, you do it 
unto the Lord. And if you serve as an officer in Christ's church, you do it unto Him. We don't do this for eyesight to please men, Jesus says. Don't let others know what you are doing. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. And even though I, I mentioned this about what some have called the underbelly of the, the church of Christ, First Peter gives us hope. It's not all, always that. We do have uh, these, these nuggets here and there that we enjoy. We see the fruit of our labor and the labor of others in the church. And in 1 Peter 5, 4, he says, And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. He's talking to the elders there. You will receive a special reward for being faithful to Christ in this capacity, in this office of being a ruling elder. Don't forget it. You do this because you love Jesus, I hope. And that should always be why you do it. We love God first, and then we love our neighbors. And so Paul reminds us of his motive there, but also he uses these analogies to, to give us an insight as to his mindset as he was an apostle and even an elder in the church of Christ. He talks about or alludes to being an accountant in verse 24, but none of these things move me, that he's going to suffer. He's going to be in chains. These things don't scare me. They don't move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. He uses the, the, the verbiage, the, the analogy, I should say, of being an accountant, of being a runner. He says, so that I may finish my race with joy. And it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Christian life is a marathon. Hebrews reminds us as we run the race, we have to run it well. To run it well, what do we do? We keep our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he talks about being a runner. Um, he talks about receiving this ministry again. He talks about preaching, being a herald there in verse 25. Being a witness to the gospel of Christ. A preacher, one who proclaims the gospel. And in verse 26, being a watchman. Alluding to the prophet Ezekiel, verse 33. And so he gives this insight to his own perspective of ministry. But look down at verse 28. He says, Therefore, take heed, you elders at Ephesus. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. He may have thought he would have reversed that. Kind of like in Acts chapter 6, the apostles, they say, We will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. You might think they would say the, the ministry of the word, and yeah, if we have time, we'll pray. But prayer first, then the ministry of the word. Here he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, to all the flock. So you watch yourself, Paul tells Timothy, watch yourself, watch your doctrine. The same is true here. By the way, Timothy would become the pastor of this church at Ephesus. So when you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, think of Acts chapter 20. Paul brings these two together, the church and Pastor Timothy. And so he's to watch, the elders to watch his character, his own doctrine, what he believes, what he's teaching. And it says there he is to shepherd, to watch all of the flock. 
there is to be no partiality. The rich and the poor, the pretty and the ugly, those who act pretty, those who act ugly even, all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It is the sovereign spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who has placed you in this position through the ministration of his church to shepherd the church of God. That's what you are to do. That's what elders are to do, is to shepherd the church of God. And then he says, which he, God, purchased with his own blood. And so he's obviously talking about the shed blood of Christ who purchased his bride. By the way, as a footnote, here's a reference to the deity of Christ. Christ himself purchased the church of God with his own blood, and he calls Christ God. But the point is, think about this. You're going to serve as an elder. When, when you serve in the glory days or when it's unpopular, when it becomes drudgery, maybe you need a break for a while, but remember this. You are serving Christ by serving his church and Christ shed his blood so that he could have his church. You are serving the organization for which the Lord Jesus came and suffered and died and shed his blood. There's no organization like that in the world. Amazon may dominate the economic world. They might get their banks and all of these things. But whomever, but Jesus did not shed his blood for any of these companies. He shed his blood for the church and we get to serve the Lord Jesus by serving his body, the church of Christ. And so remember, when tough times come, you signed up for this because you wanted to serve Jesus. And Christian, don't forget this as well. Whether it's baking, cookies, cleaning, tearing down chairs, putting them back, whatever it is, why did you sign up for this in the first place? It was to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our motive. And when we take our eyes off of Christ and the service that we owe Him, things become drudgery. And so then Paul lays before them this exceptional track record of His, His faithfulness in ministry. Uh, but there's something else He must mention to them. And that's the second thing here. Uh, Paul's appeal for watchfulness in ministry. See, Paul is concerned as he passes the baton eventually to Timothy, as he passes the baton of responsibility to these elders here. He is concerned that the enemy will not be successful in unraveling that which he has built. Of course, Paul built it with the grace of God, the Lord Jesus' help and supply and all of that. But Paul knows that where there is an effective gospel witness, the enemy will strike. The enemy is a liar, he's a murderer, he's a thief, and he seeks to divide and conquer. And let us not forget that. Whether it's dividing the elders or dividing the church, a local church or the broader church, that's the mode of the enemy. And so if you look there in verse 29, Paul warns them. He says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves, 
will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so the question is, is he talking about false teachers rising up from within? It could be that. Or is he talking about the civil authorities pressuring, persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think it could go either way. And we know that this certainly happens. Both of them happen. I mean, just think about the past year. Uh, civil magistrates taking advantage of our situation with this virus. Last August, you had uh, the uh, state of California clamping down on churches. You had the mayor of L.A. threatening to shut off the utilities of Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur is pastor. You had them imposing fines upon him and the men there. And to this day, they are not settled. More recently, in Alberta, Canada, there was a Grace Church. They were forbidden to worship, to gather. They had no COVID cases there. They continued to do what Christ called them to do, to worship God. They arrested the pastor. He was in jail 30-something days. They recently, as you know, perhaps put a fence around the church so that now they are forced to worship underground. Elders, this needs to be on your radar. I'm not prophesying that this morning, telling what's going to happen. Hopefully it doesn't here in our state, in this place. But if it does, what will you do and what will we do as a body of Christ? And so in verse 30, he gives them this other warning. It says there, also from among yourselves, he's probably talking about them as elders within the body, the the session. Men will rise up speaking twisted, perverted things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember. Jesus warns in Matthew 7, 15 that such false teachers come uh, as wolves, but they are dressed in sheep's clothing. They look like Christians. In 1 Timothy 1, 2 Paul talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander. He had to deliver them over to Satan so that they would learn what? Not to blaspheme. And of course, in 3 John verse 9, it talks about Diotrephes who loved the preeminence. Some people serve Christ for the wrong reason. Could be fame. Could be money. And so we have to watch out for that. And by the way, um, the cults, of years past have often started in a church or in a way that's related to the church, an Orthodox church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a cult leader is not going to come knocking on your door and say, hi, I represent the first cult of coming. Will you let me in? No. They're going to say, hey, this is great. We've got this teaching over here. You're going to love it. And there's going to be a lot of truth in it, but there's going to be a little error, and that little error is enough to damn you to hell. That's the way Satan works. He's an angel of light, Paul says in Corinthians. And so when you think about it, just let me give you a few examples here. Charles Taze Russell in 1870 started a Bible class, and that class elected him as pastor. And then he began, he began a paper, which began, became known as the Watchtower which is the Jehovah's Witness, an organization that denies the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1831, a Baptist minister 
William Miller began to preach that Jesus would return in 1843, and his followers became known as Millerites. And the Millerites became known as what is now Seventh-day Adventistism. Even Kenneth Hagin began preaching in a Baptist church. He's the father, probably the father, of the modern Word of Faith movement. And we could go on. There have been sexual predators in churches. We've seen that. And the Reformed world is not immune to what Paul says here, this warning here. We've seen controversies in our own circles concerning doctrine. Doctrines such as justification, the article on which the church stands or falls. Uh, spiritual gifts. Um, sanctification. How it is that we are made holy. And whether or not we have sin as Christians, things such as that. Homosexuality as of late. I heard some things yesterday. I was at a men's prayer breakfast and I heard some things uh, concerning a sister denomination that were going on at a local level. And I about fell out of my chair. We have some who would say they're homosexual, but they're not practicing and they're saying they're Christian pastors. There's the role of women in the church. All, all of these things. And we might think of the OPC, yeah, but we're orthodox. Look at us on paper. Well, everybody's good on paper. When you throw sin into the mix, then look out. You know, Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. That's to, to us as Christians. And so we have Paul's faithfulness. We have his watchfulness in ministry. Now, let me take a few minutes and say a few things concerning the implications for us here at Providence. First, for the leadership. For the leadership. Based, what we, based on what we see here in Acts 20 and the rest of the scriptures, of course, um, the elders of the church are shepherds. Shepherd the flock of God. Some of you are familiar with Timothy Whitmer's book on shepherding. Being an elder. And he talks about a fourfold matrix, and I believe it is biblical. He says, shepherds know the flock, they feed the flock, they lead the flock, and they protect the flock. And so we've even read from our form of government just a few minutes ago, we are to know the flock. Of course, that means we have church roles and we can identify who are the members of this local body. That's true. We practice what has been known as the district model in ages past where Certain church members are assigned to a certain elder. And that's another way to get to know the flock. And so there must be personal contact. Yes, we will deliberate on daily, the daily grind and, and the things necessary to keep a church afloat and moving. We will talk about these issues, these things we, we must. Um, perhaps we will, quote, cast vision, which it's always the same vision, just in a different age. We get it from Scripture. Matthew 28, to make disciples of the nations, to seek those who would worship God in spirit and truth, preach the gospel. But we are to know the flock. There must be personal contact on the part of the elder with the flock. That includes prayer. And in our day and time, perhaps a phone call or a home visit. And shepherds feed the flock. We are to oversee the ministry of the word. The ruling elders are to make sure that the pastor is preaching the truth 
They are to hold him accountable, yes, and they are to see that the flock believes the right thing. And you have to throw in sanctification in the mix, okay? Because what if you have a new convert in there? He doesn't know anything, and maybe he has misunderstanding. Well, he's not going to be as advanced in his teaching, his theology, as someone who's been in a Reformed church for 30 years. So we're all works in progress. But the ruling elder in God's wisdom understands that, and he knows where this person is and where he needs to be. She is and where she needs to be. We think about Christian education and the life of the body. What do we need as a church at this point in time? What book of the Bible should we go through? What sermon series should we preach? What should we be learning in our extracurricular educational classes? And of course, there's personal discipleship. I know for me, one of my growth spurts as a Christian was when I met one-on-one with a dear brother who knew more than me, who was a little more advanced, was able to lead me and teach me. And elders, we should be among those men who are able, by God's grace, to do that. Shepherds lead the flock. Uh, The primary way which we lead the flock is by example. Example in our attendance at the stated services of the church, worship, um, the fellowship activities, all of these things. And our Bible reading, our evangelism, our personal evangelism, but ultimately our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let the, the things of the church crowd out your relationship to the Lord. Make that a priority. Keep it a priority. We should be leaders in the service of the church, and shepherds protect the flock. Uh, We are to warn. Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, of course, to rebuke, exhort, to do all these things. There are times when uh, we must hold high the alarm. This is bad. This is dangerous. It's coming. It's in our midst. It's in our society, our culture. You know, if there's danger in the pasture, the shepherd, he he takes his his rod, his staff, and he, he protects the sheep and steers them away from that danger. Or he beats off the wolves. I guess we could do that figuratively. So there's that protecting the flock. And that includes discipline. And it includes doing the hard things. To bringing a warning, a rebuke at times. Restoring a wayward sheep. Lord willing. And I want to speak to you men. My fellow elders. It is my desire that we do this together. You could say as a team, but more as a brotherhood. Did you notice what happened, what Luke told us about there at the end? After he had said all these things, verse 36, they knelt down and prayed together. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. They knew they would never see him again in this life. Why? Why would they act in this way? Because for three years, Paul had poured his life into them. For three years, they served with Paul, the church of Jesus Christ, together. They had been through thick and thin, the glory times, the bad times, the hard times. And they were a brotherhood. I pray that that we have that as well on the session. Now, let me say a few words for you, um, those of you who are not officers here at Providence. Well, if the shepherds are to know the flock, 
then help them to know you. I've heard of church mice before. They're the ones who come into church maybe a little late, and uh, just when the um, service is over, they run out. And perhaps you have to do that on occasion. But fellowship with the people and, and fellowship with the elders, if as you were able, I should say, get to know them. And I'll just warn you that as you do get to know them, if you haven't already, again, you will find out that these are men with clay feet. They are redeemed sinners like you, and, and they should have uh, some advancement in their godliness. That's why they've been nominated and elected as elders, but they're not perfect. And if it is the elder's job to shepherd the flock by feeding the flock, then don't miss or be late to dinner. Uh, we are to provide a steady, healthy diet of the Word of God in different ways, and, and you should maintain that same diet. In your personal walk with the Lord, in your own devotions, we call them uh, in families. In family worship, maybe for some of us it's time to start again but also in corporate worship, especially, we talk about especially the preaching of the Word of God. It's important. It's a means of grace that the Lord uses. And then if elders lead the church as shepherds, follow them. And I do not mean an unqualified following of men. That is a cultic type of behavior, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And so that's what we are to do. If your elder is godly in an area, think about it and think about how maybe you can implement that in your life as a way to apply the principles and commands of Scripture. And then if shepherds are to protect the flock, then submit to them. It takes humility to do this, and if they tell you to wash their car, please let me know. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what the Word of God says, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, to love Him and to love Him by obeying Him. And so Hebrews 13 comes to mind where it says in uh, verse 3 or verse 7, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And then verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So make the job of your elder a little easier by loving Jesus and following those men whom he has placed over your lives in the church. And don't forget to pray. Pray for your pastor. Paul asked for prayer as he preached the word. I'm like, he's an apostle. He's got that, that red phone line to God, right? He gets the word from the spirit directly like that. And he asked for them to pray for him. How much more do I need prayer? How much more do these men need prayer when it comes to leading the flock and governing the church of Jesus Christ? So pray for their understanding. Pray for their knowledge of doctrine, for their knowledge of the Bible, for the knowledge of the Reformed faith, our standards, 
and how to implement these things in the lives of God's people for their spiritual strength. And don't forget to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Because in Ephesians 4, it says there that Christ ascended on high. And when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. And then it tells us what those gifts are. They are leaders of his church. Do you see Christ's provision for us this day? Pray for them. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we we thank you for building your church. We thank you, Christ Jesus, by your spirit, for giving us men. Uh, We pray for the longevity of this local body. We pray that you would continue to build it so that when the current pastor, elders have come and gone, that they would see the future before them that you are continuing to build this body, to grow it in grace and in number. We pray for your glory, and in Christ's name, amen.